Hello and welcome back to Onto the Ball. We're back for another blockbuster edition to talk about the weekend's football. And we've got a very special guest with us today. We've got Dan from Two Blues podcast. He's joining me, Scott Nicholl, and Travis Morgan. And James OB is back as well. Um, Dan, it's a real pleasure to have you. I've been promised I'm going to come on yours and, and critique the Liverpool review that you've done. I'm sure OB might want to watch it as well now that I was telling him that you've got <laughs> a healthy hatred for Liverpool and their fans. So that'll be a good watch back. Um, but we've got loads to go through. Um, we are reviewing the weekend. Manchester United picked up the second silverware of the season. What's the first? I can see Trav thinking... The Charity Shield, of course. I already know what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming already. <laughs> well, that's Liverpool and Man United scooped one bit of silverware each. Um, and then we're going to go through probably briefly OB, Crystal Palace nil, Liverpool nil. And then we're going to head right into the nitty gritty of Spurs to Chelsea nil. Dan's already shaking his head. He's firmly, I don't want to... I don't want to give any spoilers, but he's firmly Graham Potter out. Um, so we're going to get on to that. Lads, how you doing? Is okay? We're going to get straight into it. Yeah, I'm good. So, Travis, do it. it'd be rude not to start with you and Manchester United. Okay, we've got to give you props. The League Cup, Eric Ten Hag. He's come in. You're delighted with him. According to your Twitter according to the WhatsApp group messages anyway. Could it have gone much better than this? Still in all four competitions, first one in the bag, the League Cup. What did you think of the game? Um, I, Yeah, just firstly, from what you said, I don't think it could have gone... It could be going much better than what it is at the moment. Um, in terms of the game itself, um, I think Newcastle actually started the game better than us, to be fair. I think there might have been a few nerves because obviously the pressure was all on United to win the game. Newcastle haven't been in good form. They've had quite a lot of draws quite recently. And the, and everybody expected Man U to win and probably win comfortably as well. Newcastle aren't a team that score many goals. So the onus was on Manchester United to take the game to Newcastle. But I actually thought we started the game quite nervy. I think they had a few chances where the ball was flashing across the box. A few nearly moments. But Newcastle are one of those teams... Um, a lot of this season that have like huffed and puffed. They've not really got a main sort of goal scorer in their team. I know Callum Wilson's chipped in with a few, but Isak struggled with injury. St. Max don't really score a lot of goals and they've just bought Anthony Gordon in January. So there's not a lot of goals in their team. I think once we took the lead through Casemiro, then I think we sort of grew in confidence towards the end of the first half. Rashford got the second goal really quickly and then you thought it could go on to be three and four. Um, Carrius made actually a couple of good saves. I thought he did okay. In I think I think he could have done a little bit better on the Rashford goal, to be honest with you. Um, but just to, think... just a correction there, Trav. Rashford didn't score the goal. It was, it was an old goal, mate. <laughs> no, it's been credited to Rashford now. It's gone back to Rashford. Hey, how could it be? It was going wide. I'm, uh, the dubious dubious goal committee's got to be looking at that. It was going <laughs> wide. He actually oh, completely raging. missed it. I'm not raging. He missed it the shot. It was going wide, surely. When was yeah. it credited to him, Trav? Yeah. Um, early when, this when morning. 
early this morning. You've been credited to Rashford. No, no, no. no it's been it. It. I took them all night. What's that? I took them all night to decide. <laughs> yeah, no, it's silly, really. <laughs> exactly. On. It's stupid, mate. But yeah, it has been officially credited to Marcus Rashford now. So, um, yeah. So once we took a 2-0 lead, the second half, again, Newcastle came. De Gea made a couple of saves, but we weren't under under really any great pressure. Again, huffing and puffing without all bark, no bite. I think we saw the game out well. We made the substitutions, bringing on Sabitza, bought on McTominay, and I thought we looked quite comfortable. We just played on the break for the last 15 minutes, got Rashford in the channel, and, and I think we should have wrapped the game up on a couple of occasions. I know Bruno went clean through, should have squared it straight through to Sancho. Rashford had a little pot shot from about 20 yards as well, which Carrius made quite a smart save from. So after, after the first goal, I thought it was pretty routine and pretty comfortable, and another clean sheet for the Reds. And Harry Maguire come on, didn't he? Yeah, he came on towards the end. I think that was Ten Hag's way of saying you're the club captain. We've got to pay your respect in some way. Um, I don't, <laughs> I don't think he had any sort of impact on the game or anything like that. I think there's only like a couple of minutes to go, but it was nice to just see him come on and and lift the trophy with Bruno. Did he grab the armband off Bruno? Um, yeah, I think he came on for Bruno, if I remember correctly. Bruno came off at the end. But um, yeah, he took he had he certainly had the armband on when he lifted the cup. Anyway, he couldn't wait to do it as well. Just a little shit house, but he loved it. But well, yeah, all John Terry. But at least he got the at least <laughs> <laughs> in the full kit. Yeah, exactly, full kit wanker, mate. But yeah, it was good. Like it, like you said, it was long overdue. It's been six years since we'd won anything, um, so it's good to get off to a good start on on. Um, Eric Tanag's watch. So hopefully we can we can add more this season. Like I said, you, we're in all the competitions now. It'd be interesting to see what sort of draw that we that we get if we manage to get through West Ham on Wednesday. Because like you said, out of the big teams that are left, Arsenal are out, Liverpool are out of the competition. So I think there's only really Man City sort of who's who could potentially cause us much danger with the remaining team. So I think it's going to be interesting finish to the season. Are Arsenal still in it? No, and Man City knocked them out. Oh, of course he did, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dan, so did, you watch it? did you watch the League Cup final? Um, I only caught the, the second half. I saw the, the goals, which obviously, yeah, as Obi rightly said, um, second one was an own goal. Not sure how Rashford got played with that. But English, English stat padding will go with there. For <laughs> um, but yeah, no, second half, I mean, yeah, it was... Wasn't too. I don't think Newcastle, like Trav said, have anything that is particularly dangerous. As particularly when you're two 0 down in a League Cup final, you know they didn't really have the any. You know they, they didn't. Regardless of the the crowd behind them, they didn't have an opportunity or have anyone to have a, a real target man to to pull them through and and to look for in those situations. And it didn't really create many chances and. Anything that they was was a half chance rather than clear cut. Um, like Trav said, you know, Isaac was someone that we were very excited to see at the start of the season, but particularly after his, you know, after his debut, um, took Liverpool to to the shops, if I remember rightly. But <laughs> yeah, very, you know, Almiron seems to have lost his momentum a little bit. Um, Joe Linton obviously yeah. is, is just not going to make it, and I personally um, am not an advocate of, of Anthony Gordon. I'm not a fan of him. Um, didn't want him at Chelsea and I don't really see him doing particularly well at Newcastle. Has he been playing? Has Anthony Gordon been playing? Not really. No. He was on the bench. Coming on the side. Yeah. 
on the sub. Yeah, OB, coming off the did you watch it? I take it you watched it. Yeah, I watched the game. I mean, from my perspective, I thought I, I expected that outcome. Uh, we talked about this earlier, Scott, but I expected that outcome simply because two things. One, if we can turn them over at St. James's Park, they're not going to be any bloody good the way we're playing this season. And we, we, we turned them over quite easily. I mean, they actually played better when they went down to 10 men and they got riled up. Um, but we were, we, were, we were tearing them apart and I, I expected United to be able to wear them down and take the chances and make the most of it. Um, I thought Ten Hag got his tactics absolutely right. And what I'd also say is that um, the Glazers also got their tactics right by giving everybody a scarf that wasn't green and gold and getting them to, to swing it about. So, well played for them. They're clearly staying, aren't they? Glazers in. That, that, uh, we're staying gift from the Glazers to all the fans to thank them for well, Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. He was, there. he was there. He looked really excited, looked really happy. Um, I don't know why they'd turn up if they were selling the club. So, it must be a, it's a bit of a strange one, that. But... Um, no, in a serious note, Ten Hag got it right. He played the right type of game. Um, swapped swapped the fullback at half time when uh, he was struggling and brought Wan Bissaka on, and I think that solidified things a little bit in the second half because there was some chances coming from down that side. But um, Wan Bissaka done well in the second half, and I think that was the main tactical yeah. move that he needed to make. Um, I do think Casemiro was an absolute linchpin for that team. The form he's in is absolutely fantastic. Um, and it, it shows the confidence all around the team is showing. Um, just be interested to see what they do now for the rest of the season. He says through great teeth. Yeah, hopefully they, <laughs> burn, they burn right out. Uh, Dan, a baptism of fire yeah. on onto the ball for you. I'm going to put you right on the spot. A Man United back. Unfortunately, yeah. Um, um, yeah. Unfortunately, I think Ten Hag is the right man. It looks like he's got the players working as a unit. He's got Rashford firing, you know, as he needs someone up there as a number nine. You know, Wattweg Horse is not going to be a long-term number nine for them. Um, Martial is obviously, you know, not consistent enough at the moment as well and has struggled with injury. So it's good to have Rashford firing, but he's got, you know, like I said, Casemiro in there. Fantastic buy. Um I think Varane, fantastic buy. They've made some superb investments in core areas of the team. You know, Lissandro Martinez, again, hate to admit it, but he looks like another fantastic centre-back. He's, you know, adapted to the Premier League very quickly and very well. Um, they look to have formed a very strong basis. Um, and as long as De Gea, you know, keeps his act together and doesn't, you know, make the, uh, you know, we, we all know De Gea loves to make a, a mistake or two. <laughs> as long as he keeps those out of his game, you know, they've got a fairly solid, you know, with Luke Shaw as well, um, he's probably in the best, arguably the best form of his life. Um, and with Dallow and Wan-Bissaka competing for that right back, I think it's a it's a very solid foundation of the, the team to build on. Travis, I'm getting a little bit sick of Ten Hag not putting a foot wrong. <laughs> As Ob says, I've got to give him credit where it's due. Half time against Barca, half time against Newcastle. You can't put a foot wrong. Well, we looked at the fixtures before, and we said it was going to be a pivotal period for United over the next couple of weeks. We said Leicester at home, then straight into Barcelona three days later into the cup final, um, and and we've come through all of those games and we've won them all. Like two legs against Barcelona. 
what we drew the first leg. We beat Leicester and we won the cup final. So I think like we were discussing um, in the preview for the Newcastle game, OB said um, that if we played a lot of the strongest team against Barcelona and we lost the cup final, that we that we would rue that and we would regret that. And we've come through it. So it's not just what's happening on the pitches. Well, it's the way that we're managing the squad off it as well. Like the, the, the recuperation, the recovery has obviously been great. We're not getting that many injuries. Like obviously, the suspensions we had to Casemiro, Sabitzer was banned in Europe. Martinez was banned in Europe, but they've come back in now. So apart from Ericsson, now players are starting to come back. Um, so like you said, I think, Everything's just going right for us at the moment. There will obviously be periods. We've got we go to Anfield this this week as well, um, which is obviously always a tough game for Man United, no matter what the form's like. So there's going to be bumps in the road, but like you said, there's not much more we can do than what we're doing at the moment. And the most important thing is the wins just breathe confidence. Everybody's flying at the moment. Even if people are coming on for like 15, 20 minutes at the end of games, everybody's hungry. Everybody wants to start games and it's, and it's infectious. How much did the battle between Ten Hag and Ronaldo win over the rest of the squad, do you think? Because that must have been what it was. He must have been thinking, get out of this club. I'm the boss. You're gone. And for him to do that with Ronaldo... It must have sent shockwaves through the rest of the squad, thinking I ain't gonna mess with Ten Hag. I think what was more telling was the fact that the club backed his decision on it. Whether he had full power over the decision remains to be seen. But obviously, like I said, a lot of United's recruitment in terms of their operation has been very commercially driven before Ten Hag came. Like I said, we've always signed the Cavani's, the Dimarias, just the names. I think this is the first time in a while that you could tell that the recruitment wasn't just about names because everybody questioned it. A lot of them said that the signings are from the Eredivisie. Will they fit into the Premier League? The likes of Anthony, Anthony Martinez, um, Lissandro Martinez, um, Ericsson on a free. Was he old? Was he washed up? Everyone was criticising a lot of the signings. Um, before they were made. I think Casemiro was the only one of note who you thought, well, he was proven quality and he should fit into the Premier League, no problem. So I think you've got to give credit also to like sort of John Murta because this is the first time he's been in this role over at Ed Woodward. And he was the one that was driving a lot of the recruitment before and the plan and the operation. So it has changed quite a bit in terms of that dynamic. So again, I think we just need another summer going forward in terms of the Ronaldo thing. I think when he did the interview with Piers, we had a decision to make as a club because obviously he sold a lot of shirts. He made the club a lot of money. We could have just said, right, discipline him, keep him in and around the team, make some more money. But we were strong. Tanag said, no, he's crossed the line. He needs to go. The club's backed his decision. And I think, like you said, that's paid dividends now and everybody knows who, who sort of rules the roost. Fair play. Manchester United, Dan says they're back. Obi has previously said they're back, and I fear they're back. And I think the most scary thing for me, you said it in the last podcast, is well, Trav confirmed it. They're going to spend another two hundred and fifty million in the summer, aren't they, on Osserman or or Harry yeah. Kane or, or or another? So, I think we'll go big again. To be fair, yeah, I do. I think we'll get a partner for Casemiro. I think we'll definitely get a top class striker. I think we'll get a utility defender like. One of the centre halves will go, and I think we'll get somebody who can play centre half and a fullback 
similar to your boy Ivanovic back in the day. That's what that's what I'd like to see at United, that type of player. No, oh, I would never see that type of player again, unfortunately. <laughs> they're a dying, they're a dying breed, aren't they? Oh yeah, they are, particularly mm. in this modern era of VAR. Oh, that is rude. <laughs> <laughs> but that's oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> that sets us nicely onto Chelsea. Oh, Damn. Man. Here we go. Uh we're gonna get oh, into it's it. Been, it's been it's been good to been good to have you been good to be on there. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, uh, I've got a couple of questions for you. I think I'm going to start off with how long had Potter been in the job before you thought he's not the right guy and I want him gone? Was it a month, a couple of months? At what point did you think, I've give up on him, he's got to go? Don't forget to say before he came. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was never sold on him. I was never sold on the idea. Obviously, Charms and I both wanted Tuchel to stay with all of our heart. You know, Tuchel has a, had a real emotional connection with the fans that I don't think can be and will ever be replicated by Graham Potter. Um, the manner in which he was brought in, obviously, you know, gives him some loyalty in terms of the club have to give him an allowance. They spend so much money on him. They can't just bid him off straight away. But... From a fan standpoint, that doesn't matter. And for me, I mean, it was it was the West Ham game, I think, um, where I where I really where I lost lost all faith. Um, we for forty five minutes, it looked like a different team. You know, it was the first time I think we'd seen Enzo Fernandez, Jao Felix together. Um, it looked like you know Mudrick. Um, you know, it looked like it was going to be the start of something new and it just fell flat. It lasted 45 minutes, as does the majority of Chelsea's performances these days. Um, and that was when, you know, I, I really, really started to question and scrutinise his his decision-making, particularly with substitutions, um, his reliance on Gallagher, Mount, Ziyech, uh, the same players, uh, Havertz, uh, the same ineffective team in different ways and in different methods and it's it's not working and I don't know whether he's unable to communicate his method of uh method of playing over to, to the players or I don't know whether the players aren't able to understand it but whatever we're seeing is not there is no plan in place there is no there is too much change going on for one he is changing the team around too much for, for one example I don't know why Koulibaly he's, he's giving Koulibaly an opportunity um it, He's proven that Buddy Ashili is a better better centre back, particularly in that left centre back side alongside Thiago Silva. I don't understand why now we have a stable-ish back four with Chilwell and James back. He's trying to switch it up again and put in another liability of a centre back in. Again, Gallagher and Mount are two players that I've completely lost faith with at Chelsea as well. Um, I'd like and Liverpool are linked to both. <laughs> oh, please take them, Scott. Please. <laughs> And 20 mil for both. 20 mil for both. You can have them, please. <laughs> Honestly. But no, yeah, Potter is, is just reinforced in the last ever every single game since the West Ham game. I've kind of, well, it's obviously decreased every single time, but I've kind of gone, look, we, you know, we can win this game. We've got another chance. The team looks all right. We can do it. And then it's the same flat performance. No goals again. You know, I think we've scored one goal in the last 77 shots which is appalling. So yeah. I don't know why we are sticking with the same 
Well, what did Einstein say? It was if he madness is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, and that's what Graham Potter's doing at the moment. And yeah, he's not helping himself by you know his responses to the media and how he's doing yeah, he's come out with some real odd comments recently, mm. hasn't he? Um, they almost admitting defeat and admitting that he's going to get sacked soon. I found it really odd. Yeah, uh, that was that was the one that just reiterated to, reiterated to me and to a lot of the fans. I think that you clearly not, you know, you don't feel you are suited to this position. You are already, and like you said, you've already accepted defeat. You're not going out there trying to save your job. Um, not so turn it why, around, should, yeah. why should we believe in you? You know, it's it's. We really needed at the weekend that Spurs performance. We needed a, you know, Tuchel Conte moment. We needed to see some passion. We needed to see him celebrate, see him, see him gesticulating. But you never see him on the sideline speaking to players. And it, it really frustrates you as a fan when you think that you care more than the manager does. When, yeah. obviously, at the end of the day, it's such a, such a coveted and such a highly paid and sought after job. Crazy. Um, Dan, I watched your last podcast and you and Charms went in on him for Graham Potter for a good 10 minutes. And then you digressed a little bit and you said, I, I do feel a bit of sympathy for Graham Potter. You've done a bit of an ab about turn. Is that sympathy down to this influx of all these players coming in? I mean, surely we've mentioned it in our podcast. Mm. You must turn up to training with all these new players, all different positions, try to keep them all happy still try to find his own rhythm of play, still try to find the best positions for all of them. Surely that sympathy is stretched a bit to be like, who's running the show? Do you think he's getting told even who to play? I, I'm not 100% sure ever what's going on behind the scenes at Chelsea. Todd Bowley seems like a very, very odd character. He seems very, very hands-on. Um, there are, you know, quite a lot of photos going out of him at the at the training ground, you know, talks of crisis talks, crisis meetings at the, you know, at Cobham, uh, Cobham, sorry, in the last week. Um, but I mean, the sympathy kind of comes from, I think it's a place of understanding in that he is, I, I do understand that number one, he is out of his depth as the Brighton manager, you know, he's, he's never had never been in a European competition, had never played a European game. So to be thrust into that on his first game as Chelsea boss and to be thrust into the job, you know, £22 million as a manager, he didn't choose that price tag. He's not the one that has to bear that responsibility or wants to bear that responsibility on his shoulders, but he has to, sorry. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I understand, particularly with eight players coming, I think it was, into the main squad, um, all of whom need, obviously, time to adapt, in, uh, time to adapt individually. It was never going to be an easy situation. Um, but unfortunately, a job like Chelsea doesn't allow for that. So while you do have an element of, of understanding and sympathy for him, you know, we've given him too many chances. There, there has to be yeah. some progression and some, some signs that we are working on and, and, you know, we are making progress. Um, but just touching on, yeah, the managing the squad. I mean, I saw a report today that apparently he's struggling to get his training techniques across to the squad because it's too large. So he's having to either leave some players out or choose who to or like train players individually. And it's that that to me is bizarre that I mean, you can't just pair people off. And that sounds do crazy. An extra pair. But I mean, maybe you can only do an exercise with a certain amount of people or whatever he's doing, it's clearly not working and he's having difficulties with the squad that he's being given. Um, 
when we first started onto the ball, we had an original channel that got deleted after about four streams, was it, Trav? Yeah. Uh, we were basically four. lacing the comments with all like the United stand, the Anfield rap. Uh, my son <laughs> done it actually, and that's illegal because we were getting some good views, but obviously it was people searching there. But anyway, we done a podcast uh, and mentioned Graham Potter, didn't we, Trav? And we said, yeah, he will not make the step up to a bigger club purely because he's not Graham Potterino. He's just like, a, he's not a name. <laughs> um, and of, we haven't got that recording anymore, or I would have turned it into a short because we, we said that he wouldn't make this step up. But Trav, you've, you wrote him off quite early as well, didn't you? You've said he's a dead man yeah. walking for a good couple of weeks the or maybe yeah. a couple of months. The mad thing is, he's a good coach at the wrong club. Like, Chelsea's just not the club. Like, they buy, they buy big, they buy in bulk. And they expect results pretty instantly. And I think the fans at Chelsea like are trying to be patient with him. Like you said, he's had ample opportunities to show that he can take the team in a, in a particular direction in terms of the football being played. Not even asking in terms of the results, but when you're at home to Southampton losing 1-0 and you're not seeing a performance, then you've got to be held accountable for that. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's literally no way you can escape criticism in any way shape or form you're playing bottom of the league and the team aren't even seeing you play well like you said you're playing well for like spells 20 minutes 45 minutes half a game like you've not seen one full 90 minute performance and and the biggest thing for me is is like you said the commitment like from the manager like you need to see some animation you need to see that he actually cares about potentially losing his job like it doesn't seem like it's on the line he seems like you said, he seems resigned to the fact that he knows he's not good enough. And that's an issue. Do you know what I mean? As a fan, look like looking on at those performances, like you said, you just need to see a, a little bit more. I think the timing of Tuchel sacking was just bizarre in itself. Do you know what I mean? Like crazy, wasn't they, it? They just signed him a Bamiyang. It was obvious a Bamiyang went because he had played with him at Dortmund. And you thought, well, yeah, they, they hadn't had a striker for a good 12 to 14 months and he was that striker that they brought in I thought right well he's going to be the main striker I know Tuchel wasn't doing great at the start of the season but he'd had he'd got the pedigree you would have thought that he'd had the time to to be able to sort it out but then when they sacked him and, and was linked with Potter what it seemed like to me was Todd Bolly was p literally just picked Potter as like sort of a flavour of the month. He was doing overachieving at Brighton. He was the one on everyone's lips, like, yeah, Potter, Potter, Potter. And I don't even think Todd Bowley even knew much about him. Do you know what I mean? It was mm. just a strange appointment. I thought there's just no way he's going to make that step up to that club. Like, I think, no disrespect like to wait, like... He couldn't wait to make his first second as yeah. a club owner. He was overexcited. Yeah. But, but if, you, if you flip back and you look at, Potter's perspective, and this is yeah. what I would say is his he um his standing was probably as high as it's ever gonna be. He will have an agent saying to him, Oh, a lot of clubs are, are interested in you, and then Chelsea make a move for him. Now, whether they've sacked Tuchel with a view to getting him Potter and gone, we fancy this guy, and have approached you, the answer has to be yes. Mm, I was going to say that. Wait, How can he say no? It could be once in yeah, a lifetime. He, he, it? Immediately, immediately, he's got to back himself or be seen to be backing himself publicly, even if deep down he's going, uh, you know, with, with Chelsea's history of turning over managers quite quick. And I know it's in a different era, but the, the, 
the the ability to just go, this isn't going to work. Maybe has started to doubt himself, thinking, "Am I good enough at this?" Because uh, he was he was comfortable at Brighton, the, he was overachieving. Even if they had a poor season where they finished, I don't know, sixteenth. You know what I mean? He he, he would have been all right next season. You know what I mean? There'd been no problems there. Whereas Chelsea, he, he would have to hit the ground running. New chairman who obviously splashed some money via some interesting finances, and obviously. Thing. You know what I mean? So immediately the pressure's on. You've got to deliver. And at that point, he had to say yes. So then he's in the job. He's then had a lot of money thrown at him. He's got to succeed. He's never had that type of exposure going far afield and playing and buying players at that level. And immediately, although you think he's made some really poor decisions, and I'm sure Dan, that's what Dan's thinking right now, he's been thrust into something that's beyond his capabilities at a point where he's not ready. Mm. You know what I mean? And the circumstances have overtaken him. And now we're seeing probably somebody who's lacking in confidence as a manager mm. and not comfortable in his surroundings and doesn't know how to get himself out of this because he's never been in anything like it before. Dan, do you think Potter would have the confidence to get rid of a Ronaldo? No, not at all. He's letting Aubameyang walk all over him. Mm. So, I, 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 I don't understand and or see how Graham Potter has any control over that dressing room. Um, yeah, I, I don't feel like he is authoritative in anything he does. You know, he doesn't command the players on the pitch. That is the first thing is communication. You know, how are players going to respect you if you don't communicate clearly with them? I don't see him, you know, ever, you know, you see so many videos and pictures of training these days and behind the scenes and you don't ever see him getting involved and, properly animated, you know, as managers do on the sidelines, but you don't see it behind the scenes. You don't see it anywhere. So you do wonder where this release is. And he comes out with excuses and says, oh, you know, I want to respect referees and all of that. But it's not a, nothing about that. You know, you don't have to, we're not asking you to hurl abuse at referees. We're asking you <laughs> yeah. to be passionate about the football club and the players that you're the playing with. But yeah, I, I agree with Obi. Obviously, yeah, I think he's way out of his depth. Um, and I think the England job would have been an easier job to take for him than the Chelsea job. I mean, it's yeah, I agree with that. I agree with mm. that. The last thing you want is a Tim Sherwood type oh. character on the sideline. Remember, you'd be over animated, throwing his jacket on the floor to to prove to the Villa fans or the Spurs fans how much he cares and it just looked laughable really. Um Dan, we've got a we've got to zone in on a couple of individual players. You just touched on Obama Yang there. Obi and Travis will tell you that I've got this kind of cut and dry black and white. If you're 30 years old, you're finished. And these two slag me off for it. But when I see you signing Obama Yang, I just think why? Why? And then Kulibali he was like hot property for a good five years. Wanted him at Liverpool. And it was always, uh, imagine how he'd look next to Van Dyke. But again, as soon as he hit 29, I was thinking his time's passed. He's not getting a big move now. And then Chelsea throw big money at him. What is he now? Is he 31 or 32 now? 31. Um, but the big one, Mikhailo Mudrik. Is he going to be another Lazar Markovic? Do you remember Liverpool bought Lazar Markovic? I think he's not even 30 yet. And he, and he, he lives on a caravan site somewhere, but we've paid 20 million for him one day. <laughs> My question to you is, 
how many games are you going to give him before you write him off? Uh, I Madrid's got a while. The the price tag wasn't his fault, and Chelsea overspent. Um, that was I feel like they overspent because and they got him just so Arsenal didn't get him. Um, and I do feel like watching Arsenal this season and seeing a glimpse of what Madrid can do against Liverpool in that first game. What James Milner. I do feel like he would have been a problem at Arsenal, um, you know, fitting into that team with Saka uh, and a fully yeah. Gabriel Jesus, um, even with Martinelli in there somewhere. You know, I feel like he would have been really, really dangerous. But, um, I mean, like a lot of the other players, you know, Kai Havertz still 23. Um, I think Mudrick is 22. So I'm going to give him a season, maybe a season and a half um, to get yeah. his act together. Um, but if he doesn't, then, you know, I'm going to be thinking maybe loan move, send him elsewhere. If he can't do it for a season there, you know, by 25 years old, I think that's the the cutting point. If you haven't kind of made it to, to the level that you need to be for first team status by then. And that's where I think Chelsea's problem is. They have a an issue with cutting players loose, such as Ruben Loftus-Cheek, um, players who always kind of seem to have the potential to make that step up, um, but are hampered by injuries or form or whatever it is and for some reason Chelsea are just opposed to letting them go and maybe it's that same mentality of we just don't want anybody else to have it but you know you get to this point where you've got 30 players that want to play first team football and it starts to become an issue Um, This eight and a half year deal is starting to look a bit crazy though isn't it He he could end up living on this gypsy farm with Lazar Markovic taking this money every week, to be honest. But uh, no, it's good that you've got a a levelled view. Obviously, he's still young. He's come to a new country. Give him time to bed in. Um, My question to you, if you had a cup final on Saturday, and this is a genuine question because you've got so many players, I'm a bit lost. This is the Mm. first time I've known the Arsenal team in about 10 years it was always El Nenny and Iwobi and I used to say to Trav, I don't even know the Arsenal team. I know the Arsenal team now. I could quote it, all 11 players. I don't know the Chelsea squad anymore. I haven't got a clue. In your opinion, if you had a cup final, I know cup finals are a million miles away at the minute for <laughs> Chelsea and Liverpool, might I add, who would be the, your starting 11? Uh, is this with a fully fit squad or the squad? Yeah, we have fully, fit. fully fit. Everyone's fit. Okay, so... Um... Although both keepers are rubbish, um, Kepa can never, be can never be forgiven for what he did in the cup final. So Mendy's got to be in goal. Um, Reese James and Chilwell at fullback. Um, Thiago Silva and Badi Ashili, um, centre-back, right centre-back, left centre-back. Um, centre-mid, I'll go with Enzo. And if he's fully fit, Kante. I'm tempted to say Georgia, not Georgina, so Kovacic, because Kovacic is, I think Kovacic is one of the most underrated players in the, the Chelsea squad. But yeah. um, can, a fully fit Kante um, alongside Enzo, Enzo would be a, a beautiful thing to watch. Um, and then I think Jao Felix in a number 10. Um, or actually, no, I'm going to go Kai Havertz number 10, Jao Felix up front, um, Mudrik on the left and Maruiki on the right. I really like Maduiki. I think he's very sharp. Um, I think he's one of the players that hasn't got as much of an opportunity as he should have um, when you look at Mudrik. Um, I think Sterling is pushing. I think he's he's one of those players that 
I think could be, you know, if he hits a good good patch of form, could be one of Chelsea's most important players, but he just hasn't really hit speed. You know, again, another player that's been hampered by injuries. And as you say, Scott, he's kind of approaching that or kind of getting to that stage in his career where you know, I don't know whether he's he's going to be able to to cut it at a Premier League level for, for much longer. Um, so, yeah, that'd be my, my 11. Fairly young, but obviously, yeah, well, that rise on Jao Felix staying as well. Yeah. That's mad when you th- you think about the players you've left out, like you say, Raheem Sterling, and he's only 27, isn't he? But he could be another one like Wayne Rooney, like washed by the time he's 30. Um, yeah. I, I can't see it myself, and I'm guilty that I wanted Raheem Sterling back at Liverpool in the summer. I'd have had him for 50 million. I don't know if OB will agree with me, but from what I remember, OB would agree with me that we both rate Christian Pulisic highly. Is that right, OB? Yeah, really? yeah, I, I, I rate Pulisic. I've- I've always rated him. Um, him and him and Havertz are two players I've admired for a long time. Um, particularly, I, I think they've got a lot of quality about them. I also think as well, Dan. I actually think you've got the best young midfielder in the world in Enzo, and I know it was a big deal. I honestly believe that the team should be being built around that linchpin because he is absolute quality. Even in the games where you've been poor this season, he he, he shines. He shines, he just looks calm on the ball. He's still wanting the ball in tight areas. He's, he's brave on it. You know what I mean? He's making himself available and demanding the ball in really tight areas. And the, the rest of the team need to be fed around him. And the boys who can work and interact best with him are the boys you have on the pitch at the moment. That, that's the way I see it. It's as simple as that. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I was sceptical, obviously, about the price tag and everybody talks about, you know, paying a big price tag or paying a release clause after a good World Cup is never a good idea. But yeah, I mean, from minute one, he's looked like just, he's got a touch of class about him that no other player in that Chelsea team does. And he seems to be be able to, and the the one thing that I really, really like about him and that Chelsea have lacked for so long because they've been relying on Jorginho for so many seasons is they needed a midfielder that can transition, can take the, can win the ball deep in defence on the edge of your penalty box and very quickly distribute it up or run with the ball. And that's what he looks like. He has the ability to beat a player. He has the ability to, I mean, his distribution is superb. That is one of my my favourite things about the only positive thing about watching Chelsea at the moment is watching Enzo Fernandez pass the ball because is this distribution is fantastic. But yeah, no, agreed. It's it's I would have liked to have seen us gone in for for Bellingham. Um, but Enzo Fernandez, I think, is our midfielder, um, is the the one agreed that, that we should be building around. Uh Christian Pulisic, you kind of shook your head when me and Obi said we rate him. What what's the story with him? Is he always injured? It feels like yeah. Him and Kante come back and both put in man-of-the-match performances against Liverpool, always against Liverpool, and then disappear for three months. What is the story with them? Yeah, uh, Pulisic's... He's not one that I've... I mean, I, I when he first came to Chelsea, he looked like he was a, a player that could replicate, not necessarily replicate, but in terms of what Hazard did when he was direct and went at a player and, you know, he took on three players... That was what Pulisic looked like he could do. You know, he had a, his low centre of gravity. He looked like he could, you know, very, very agile, very good dribbling. But he just, he got injured, I think, a few months after he started. Um, and he just never really looked the same. He looked scared to go into a tackle after that. And yeah, he's just been hampered by injuries. But 
even when he hasn't, it's been he's been kind of on the fringes of the squad when he's got opportunities, hasn't really been able to put in performances. The only real good season I remember him, or particularly good season I remember him having him in, having in a Chelsea shirt, was the season that was played. I don't remember the, the number, but was the season that was played behind closed doors when there was no fans. So I don't know whether it's something to do with the pressure or the atmosphere and you know the Premier League that he's not used to, um, but. Unfortunately, he seems to be, and you know, he's the poster boy for FIFA. You know, the, the people <laughs> states think that he is God's greatest gift. You know, they compare him over there. I've seen videos of them comparing him to Messi and Ronaldo, and it is crazy the the, the just obscured view that they have of, of <laughs> that Todd Bowley is feeding these these players. <laughs> um, yeah, no, he's. I, I'm not necessarily sold on him. I think obviously 50 million was a you know, well, I'd say large price tag, but when you look at it in today's market, it's fairly average for a you know a young winger. Um, but I'd say if we can cash in on that, you know, 30, 40 million, I'd say mm-hmm. take the loss and and you know recuperate it. Still He's got still young as well. As well. Yeah, Cucurella. I was just about to say, yeah. like all the players that you've not uh, even mentioned, like Aubameyang, Cucurella, Pulisic, Sterling. Uh, Lukaku, yeah. who can forget Lukaku? He's coming back, isn't he? Yeah, well, uh, I think Inter want to, well, depending on their financial situation, I hope they take him back because, I mean, well, I, I mean, I'd be interested to see him at Chelsea. So, you know, maybe give him a pre season, see what he's like. But, I mean, that's not really uh, a good enough indicator. And with the transfer window, you know, you don't want to risk kind of him playing dropping three stinkers in the Premier League and not being able to, to get a move. So I think it's one of those where, yeah, if we can get 60, 70 mil for him again, take your loss. Um, we're not going to get 90 mil back for him. That was a, a silly amount of money. In the, what was it? 98 or something in the end. That we yeah. Paid. But yeah, no, um, he's, he's not a player that I, I think, I mean, he, he, I feel like he has his heart elsewhere as well. And I, I feel like we only really kind of want yeah. players. Know, want to bleed blue? Um, I'd rather have Aiden Hazard back than uh, Romelu Lukaku. I'd take Hazard wow. back. There's another player that's finished, <laughs> um, but Lukaku's nearly 30 as well. Uh, and I write off any player that's 30, so I cannot see he's getting that much for Lukaku, especially from the Italian league and Inter. Mm. Um, but but time will tell. Um, let's finish up on Chelsea. What has got happened to turn this round, Dan? And have you give up on top four? You must have, surely. Yeah, honestly, I I don't know. Um, I've been asking myself this question, and I've been asking Charms this question for the last, yeah, well, for the best part best part of the last month now. Um, and I really, uh, without a new manager, and even with a new manager, and drastic changes in the squad, you know. They, they really have to look at themselves. It is an intrinsic thing, and at the end of the day, no matter who takes the helm at that Chelsea team, they need to perform on the pitch and to perform as a unit. And the communication is not there. They are not, it's not really kind of that difficult. We've all, I'm sure we've all played football, you know, it's not difficult to talk to your teammates on the pitch and say, come on, we're, you know, playing shit, get up the pitch or, you know, stick it in the mixer or, you know, even just put it in the box. You know, Chelsea just seem to be afraid to do the little things. And sometimes you just have to revert back to the basics. Maybe that's what it is. But nothing is is ever going to change if we keep on changing the uh, the first 11. You know, we need to, to find 
a, a, a solid first team, uh, you know, a structure that we can rely on, whether that's including Thiago Silva or, you know, excluding him, because at the end of the day, we've got to plan for without him. If this is a long-term project, you cannot have, you cannot be relying on a 38, 39-year-old centre-back as the linchpin, because if you rely on him for every game, he's going to, as we've seen the other weekend, he's going to get injured. So, yeah, yeah um, Chelsea are going to have to do something drastic. But, I mean, guys, I am open to suggestions because... It all stems from the manager, though. Like, if, if your manager isn't a leader, you can't create leaders on the pitch. Do you know what I mean? So, that you're just lacking so much leadership at the minute. Um, like you said, you think back to years ago when you've had your players like your Terry's and your Drogba's and that, and the characters. Like, you wouldn't put Potter with those boys. They've had Mourinho's and, and do you know what I mean? Carlo Ancelotti's and stuff. And it just, it, the, play, the, the leaders that are created from that. I love Enzo. I would like to see, I think Chelsea need a midfielder next to Enzo, which allows Enzo a to be a little bit less restricted because his passing range, like you said, so good. I'd like to see him just be a box to box and just and just be that person that everything goes through. So, like you said, he sits quite deep. Like I said in front of the back four and stuff. But I would like personally to see another midfielder next to him. Um, like you said, full backs are fine. You've got you bought young centre off. You still got Fafana as well, another one that we've not mentioned from Leicester. He is a top draw player and he got injured. Did he snap his cruise yet? Or something like that. I think he was out for the season, weren't he? He's had two. He's had two really bad injuries. I think he is. He is really, really good. Like he is really good. So when when you think about it, when he's fit, you got the other centre half that you bought that Balashile, or however you pronounce his name. You've got James Chilwell. That's a decent back four when everyone's fit. Enzo in front with another player, and then you just need a top class striker that you can rely on as well. Wouldn't you? Once you get a striker, whether Felix stays in and around on like in the cam as well, what you need to stop doing is playing all those players that just aren't any good for you, like your Gallagher's, your Mounts, Loftus Cheeks. They, they they're just yeah. no good. That you know I mean, yeah, ZX. They're just not. They're just not good enough. Yeah. And and it's and it's like with United, similar to United. Do you know when players have been at a club for too long? It's not that they're not a good player, but they've just been stinking the place out a little bit, not getting games in and out of the team, just wanting to move, causing disruption. We've yeah. had it the same at our club. And I think you've bought a lot of players, but you also need to move players on as well sometimes to get the best out of the players that you've bought in. And that's what I'm seeing with Chelsea. Like, I think there's a lot of dead wood there, what I would call dead wood. You need to shift them out. Just get a top coach in that's going to play some good football and get the fans back on side. And, and the results will come with it. That's what I personally see from Chelsea anyway. Trav makes it sound simple. You feel better, Dan? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty <laughs> apt analysis, you know, pretty apt summary as well. It's I Agreed. It's it, Not only is it the management, the, the number nine is such an important position. Chelsea just have... Mm. You know, since this man, yeah, Chelsea just haven't been able to find the number nine that will work for the team. Even before that, you know, we've, we've had difficulty since Drogba. Um, I think, obviously, yeah, in the last 15 years, I can only say successful two strikers at Chelsea. So, we, we need something or someone to turn that around. But I'm not, you know, and, and controversially, I'm not a massive fan of this, all this spending money. I don't like the labels that come with it. I don't like the reputation it brings and it gives other fans ammunition when yeah. we perform as terribly as we are doing. So 
I, I don't think it's a great decision, particularly when, you know, we are not or haven't been performing well. I don't think, I think, you know, crisis spending is not the way to go about it. You know, you invest in a team and a project that I think is, you know, you see progress in. Um, but there is obviously a lot of potential in Chelsea. Um, Cobham, fantastic new structure. Um, obviously, a lot of a lot of very good players in there. So if there is some way of managing that team, um, you know, you have got the likes of David Fafana, um, Broja. Um, you know, there are a couple of couple of young strikers in there that could potentially fill the void. Um, but yeah, remains to be seen. We'll probably go and do something like. Hijack Man United's bid for a Simon in the summer. Um, just yeah, I can see that. We're we'll going to spend another 120 mil just so you lot don't get him. It'll be <laughs> and it'll come got... in and drop. Is, is Tammy Abraham? Yeah, and Kunku's done. It's done deal, is it, Tammy? Done deal, yeah. Well, that's the striker then, surely. I, I don't know. Again, he's another one. Chelsea have another habit of just buying players that don't really have a fixed or specialty position, you know, and Kunku's a fantastic player, very, very talented, but I don't know whether he's best in a number nine, a number 10, and, you know, out wide in centre mid, he can operate in so many different positions, which is fantastic, but as we've seen with players like Mason Mount, when you don't kind of have a special fixed position and you do kind of float around, sometimes you struggle to gain traction and struggle to, pick up the, the goals and assists that at the end of the day, you need to solidify yourself in a, a player as an attacking team. Absolutely. So Chelsea in the absolute mud. And the only thing that's keeping me and Obi happy at the minute that Chelsea are doing worse than us. <laughs> Obi onto Liverpool. Thankfully I was out at a party Saturday night. So I've only seen the highlights, but from what I've read on Twitter, and in our Liverpool group chat, we were absolutely diabolical. Is that the uh, way you see it? Highlights. <laughs> Low lights. <laughs> oh, my goodness. An absolutely turgid display. Absolutely rotten. Um, it's like without Nunes, we've got no energy, which is really, really bizarre, considering... I've seen a lot of criticism of Nunes this year, but I think his his energy is something that's adding to the Liverpool team. Um, what was Cater, up with him, Moby? Where was he? Oh, it, it, it was the shoulder injury. So what happened was, you know the shoulder injury he got? He took an injection against Real Madrid, but apparently the next day he couldn't he couldn't lift his arm. So therefore he was, yeah, he, he, he was out was for it? that reason. Pfizer. What's that? What was it? Pfizer? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But Triple anyway, jab. anyway. <laughs> he, he, um, we do miss his energy. Um, talk about one player, Scott, and I can't not do this. But I've been on about him for a long time. But I don't understand how Naby Keita gets away with pretending to be a footballer. He is rotten, mate. He is Klopp's worst <laughs> buy. <laughs> um, I think I compared the purchase of him in one of our group chats to uh, the purchase of George Weyer's cousin. It is that bad. It's an absolute shocker. Ali he Dia. Is, he, got hooked at, he got hooked at half time. But for me, it was at, that bad. It was at the level of, you remember when they hooked Lovren after 20-something minutes at Wembley that time when they got battered yeah. by Spurs? That level of performance. The guy should not play for us again, but he probably will. And he'll probably start the next game or something stupid like that. 
At this point in time, we need happening. Um, we need midfielders. We need decent midfielders. Now we've just listed. I mean, Stan's team are supposedly in the mud, right? And they're supposedly struggling, and they are below us in the league table. But ultimately, I see green shoots in that starting eleven, and this is where I start to worry for us because although if everybody's fit, we, we could probably would probably have a massive argument about who Liverpool would play up front. The reality is in the midfield going for the same midfield or somewhere close to the same midfield that started three years ago mm. and that's that's where the problem is um i don't even know where to start i think he believes doesn't play in defense I, that, that's the only only understanding i've got for it he's strolling back still it's really frustrating to watch um I, I just don't know where we go from here. I think it's just a case of Klopp is going to have to find something different. He's, but I don't know where he gets it from within that squad. I really don't. As for the game, nothing, nothing happened. We looked a little bit loose a couple of times at the back. We've done very little going forward. Um, there wasn't a lot else to say. Rubbish. Maybe, Waste of my Saturday night. Trent, from what I've seen, that'll bring yeah. you been quite nice there Dan you are absolutely scathing of Trent aren't you yeah I'm not a fan I think he's he's just proves himself again and again in with these defensive errors you know did it two or three times against Real Madrid um again at, at Palace you know he had one particular moment I remember was Jeffrey Schlupp just turning him inside out which and you know and I know for a fact Crystal Palace Fans hate Jeffrey Schlupp and don't want him anywhere near their team. So for him to be doing that to, to Trent is, you know, not a, a good marker on him. But it's a difficult one because he does, he is fantastic when he, you know, when he gets the ball with a bit of space and he has to distribute. He is fantastic. He has brilliant passing. So I'd love to see him transition to a CDM because I don't think he's, he can cut defensively. But that's just what I was about to ask you. Yeah. Can we, can we salvage his Liverpool career? If we're writing him off as a fullback and move him into midfield, Obi's been saying it for months. I definitely think it's worth a shout. Can 100%. you see that happening? Hundred percent. Well, you need reinforcements, as Obi said in the in the midfield. You know, James Milner, Jordan Henderson, and Naby Keita is not a midfield that is going to be winning you any trophies anytime soon. So you need, you know, put Alexander Arnold in there and buy someone, and maybe you know keep Henderson or. You know, Tiago or Bajetic even, you know, you've got arguably a championship winning midfield or a midfield that can provide, you know, progress and stability over what you have at the moment. Because, yeah, you know, it's, it's like your rules got over, you know, over 30, two of those players already there. Um, was Jordan, is Jordan Henderson over 30? He is, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's nearly 33. Uh, but yeah, Scott, um, Scott always knows the age of these players to the Jordan Henderson, day. Uh, James Hill <laughs> must be about 45 by now, but I mean, his passport says <laughs> he's, he's, he's still convincing clubs to get him on contracts. But no, he's he's obviously a player that yeah epitomizes the, the hard work, and um, yeah, he's, he's one of those players that is, is great to have around the dressing room as well. So you know, you wouldn't be remiss to, to having him on the, the sidelines or maybe helping out in the cup games, but. Yeah, Liverpool do need, I think, investment. And whether it's, yeah, maybe investing a little bit more heavily on a, at a right-back position and then moving Trent up or, you know, really heavily investing in the midfield, 
they've got to do something. But I mean, do, do you got what? What's Trent's competition? Is it just Simicass? He's, he's got um, Joe Gomez. Simicass is Gomez. It's, it's basically Joe Gomez. Joe it's Gomez, Joe and Gomez. a young lad or, from and, Aberdeen. Calvin, Calvin Ramsey. Ramsey. Maybe, maybe maybe he just needs a bit of competition to keep it healthy. Maybe he's just getting a bit lackadaisical and yeah, hmm. needs needs someone to to challenge him for his position. I think you're right, and I've been talking about this for a long time. And the guys again probably sick of me saying it, but if you brought in and and let and if he'd want to come to us, obviously if you brought in Jude Bellingham, played him alongside Thiago, um, and put Trent in there. That suddenly changes the dynamic of the whole team in a very, very positive way. You've got a couple of guys who can who can create, but also the, the, there's a lot of energy in that in that midfield at that point, um, and people who can get themselves back into good positions as well. Um, I like that idea. I like the idea of doing something like that. Whether that's something that Klopp will look at as and when the season starts to fizzle out, he might well do. He might. Trent put Trent in. I keep him expecting it to happen. I expect him to just pop him in and put Milner at right back and us all go, well, what the hell happened there? But he just, he, he seems unwilling to do it. And I don't know if it's because he's so stuck on Trent being a right back and what he creates from right back and what he's traditionally created from right back. But what you've got to remember is that when Trent was at his absolute peak, he had guys covering ridiculous distances to cover his work defensively. So you had when Alden, when he was he was really putting it in, um, and there was a massive miss in that midfield. You had Henderson and you had Fabinho, uh, a peak Fabinho, not not a Fabinho of now where he looks like he's, uh, he's, he's, he's not performing to the same level. It looks like he's struggling physically. So there's a massive drop-off. There is something that needs to be done quite urgently. We are seeing little glimpses in games of Liverpool looking like they can open up opposition quite easily. But we didn't see any of that on Saturday night. And I refer back to that Newcastle game where we went up there and they, they come on to us and we were too much for them. But a lot of that's Nunes springing gaps um, with his pace, his physicality. And I think he's he's going to be a big player going forward. Um, I, I do worry for us. So I do worry in the middle of park. Unless we can land someone like Bellingham and land and, and maybe do something different with Trent, I think we're going to have these same problems next season. Yeah, I can I can see it. However, Travis, me and you love a bit of back and forth on the group chat about net spend. Yeah. And you're mm. my Twitter guy, Indy mm. Kayla, says we've got 300 million to spend in the summer. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know how we've got 300 million or where it's coming from, and I don't trust that it's true, but. Is it going to happen? Yeah, go on. I think you will spend a lot this summer. Whether it's 300 million, I'm not 100% sure. But I think you will go big this summer, whether it's one player, whether it's a couple of players or whatever. Like you said, I think Bellingham's top of the list and he's going to cost plus of 100 million without a shadow of a doubt. So that's probably going to take up a big amount of your kitty. Um, Just interested in what you were saying on Trent, actually. Was Trent a, a midfielder in the academy at Liverpool? It was, yeah. What yeah, type was. of he midfielder was, actually, was he? What type he of was, midfielder he, was he? From from what I saw, and I only saw him in a few of the games because it was a bit of a sad at the time and used to watch some of the games. He was all energy, so he's very much box to box. Mm. Um, but he always That's had a good passing range. He always yeah. had a good passing range. 
and that's and that's easier to adapt to somebody who um, Klopp clearly saw an opportunity to develop him into an offensive fullback and sort of take it to a next level. Um, he's obviously managed to do that at a very young age and developed him in that way. But I do think that there is a point in his career where Trent's going to have to go back in midfield. And I, I do think for a refresh, I think it would help him to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, I was just yeah, I was just touching on that point actually because like you said, um, if if at fullback he's struggling to like sort of trap runners and awareness of space and and sort of one v one against defenders and not defending properly, he's not going to be a he's not going to be a holding player. Do you know what I mean? And at the moment, Fabinho is that player who you said's finished. So it sounds like if Trent goes in there, he's going to be a box to box. If he is going to be in there, then that that sort of leaves. Tiago with him, those two is like sort of your box to box, your two eights, and then you're buying a holding player. Then where does Bellingham fit? But like you said, you need a squad. So if you think of the names, I don't know what you think. I don't know if you think Fabinho is going to stay or not, or you want rid of him. But if you have Trent, you get Bellingham. Would you still keep Tiago then? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think so. I mean, the, the only thing I would say with that is. I think the most effective players and the most effective players this season I've seen don't necessarily have to be playing the furthest up the park. So if we play you boys, Casemiro's been your best player this season. I'll give about Rashford, but Casemiro's yeah. the most influential. Um, mm. At Arsenal, I think Thomas Partey is doing an amazing job. I see in the World Cup, I thought Fernandez was probably the, the one of the standout midfielders, if not the standout midfielder. And obviously, he's gone to Chelsea, but he, they, they, they play in a deeper role and they control the game and have a real linchpin. Now, you could adapt Bellingham to be that man quite easily, and you could ask him to hold that role in, in a game and dominate from that position. You really could do that. And I think that's possibly where, mm. where I would see us going, provided we could land him. And that's a big so like Bellingham, like Bellingham, sort of that that deep line playmaker sort of player. Yeah, yeah, like absolutely. A... And and very much like, uh, and you look at Kevin De Bruyne. Kevin De Bruyne, people talk about his passing all the time. It's actually his work rate that impresses me most because his range of passing is ridiculous, but he isn't sitting on the passes or admiring the passes or or just wanting to do that. He does all the, the dirty work really, really well. He's a proper dirty, get, get stuck in player. And... Mm. Um, that's what a midfielder needs to be now. It's not just about having one element to your game. It's about having that ability to be lots of different things in the very, very top end of a game and the top end of a league. There's one for every team. And if you look at that, that's probably the trend over the last sort of year or two is that these players are so important to how these teams play football. The thing about, like Trav just mentioned it there, like maybe try to have one eye on our midfield for next season, bringing in... Bellingham, hopefully, fingers crossed. Mateus Nunes, heavily linked. Caicedo is going to move to a, a top six club. But you mentioned like Thiago or, you know, who would you have in there? And it's it's the pl players like Thiago, Henderson, Milner, Cater, Oxlade-Chamberlain. It's them that we just need gone, basically. Henderson will be a good squaddy. You know, if he, he's only getting 15 league starts a season and he t assumes the, the Milner role, kind of the presence in the dressing room. But really, if we're going to get back to what we do best, it's going to be a complete midfield overhaul. And it would take every penny of 300 million, which are 
also don't think is even going to happen. But at the same time, if you, th- I keep studying the way Arsenal play because when a, a team uh, are playing really well, obviously at the top of the league, they remind me of what we looked like a couple of years ago when we won the league. I study how they play. And if you look at Zinchenko, he doesn't even play left back. He plays in the left-hand side of a midfield because Arsenal is so much on the front foot. And that's what Trent used to do. He'd be forming that triangle with um, Henderson and Salah working down that right-hand side. But it's only now that we're not on our game. The midfield's not great. The front three, you could say, are misfiring. I know they've scored a few goals lately, Gakpo, Nunes. But that's when we're getting exposed, when Trent has got to be a proper right-back. No, I'm I'm not discrediting Zinchenko's defensive capabilities, but whenever I watch, I th- he's not even at left-back. Uh, uh, what's happened to Fabinho then? Fill me in because, like, that is mad. I don't understand how he's gone, how he's dead because he's been one of the best holding players for the last three, four years in the Premier League. I don't get what's gone on. What what's there actually going a... on with him then? I, I, I watched a video. I watched a video today of his performance against Barcelona in that semi final, and it just happened to be on Twitter. And it was remember this is what Fabinho's levels were. Right, so there's two parts to that. Number one, that was in 2019, so that's four years ago. Yeah. And I don't think he's been at that level since then, but the drop-off, I think, has been there in little parts. Because earlier on in his career, he was standout. His Liverpool career, he was standout. And then he just become a, yeah, he had a solid game. And then suddenly it was like, He's, he's getting leggy. So I think there's a physical drop-off. Um, I think something's happening physically. Now, whether he's picked up injuries and he's struggling with them, um, his fitness probably isn't maybe isn't at the same level. Certainly not covering the same distances as are the whole midfield. They're just not covering it. So I suggest it's possibly physical. But then I think it's leaned to mistakes on the pitch positionally as well. And I don't know whether that's because he doesn't trust himself or whether he doesn't think he's fit. Um, they never tell you if they're not fit, do they? And they're playing them playing through it. They don't tend to tell you. So I don't know what's going on, but he's certainly not the same player in distance. He's certainly not the same player in, in covering um the defenders and making sure he's that sort of screen for them in in the games. And um he's missed time in a lot of tackles as well, which is really, really strange. Mm. There was a heavy rumour about 12 months ago that him and his missus had split up. Now, I don't know if, if she kicked him out or she cheated on him or what, but there was rumours that he was living in a hotel in Liverpool. And that rumour was locally. But now he's just had a kid with his missus. But then there's also rumours that him and Klopp don't get on. On the Anfield rap, they said whenever you're at the match, Klopp berates him all the time, like screaming at him. So it could be that they don't get on with each other. Um, and that could be the reason for the drop-off. His heart isn't in it or he's kind of, Klopp's kind of lost the dressing room or him at least. But there's no doubt about it. He's, he's not the same player and he's not even 30 yet. So it's not even like I can write him off. <laughs> um, Dan, I would, I've said that I would take Gallagher. We're heavily linked with Mason Mount. Did you say, Ellie, you'd, you'd happily get rid of both of them? Yeah, for 20 mil. 20 mil. 
in today's price. Yeah, for, for both of them. I will pay you if you want. <laughs> I, I think with, with, with Conor Gallagher, he reminds me very much of a Adam Lalana type player. Um, but I do think he, he looks more exposed at Chelsea, whereas in Palace, in a compact team, he looked like he was more comfortable within it. Whereas he's got to cover more distance. He's got a, he's he, yeah, he's, he's got to make sure he gets the decisions right because the team have got a lot more of the ball. Um, he seems to be struggling a lot more. But um, I've, I've always thought he was all right, and I, I've always rated Mount. But I have seen a drop off in Mount over the last sort of year or two. Is there any reason behind the drop off in Mount? I'm not 100% sure. Uh, the only thing that I can assume or can, yeah, um, try and, uh, yeah, uh, get behind his contract talks. I know he's he's yeah. been, I'm in an RM for a while now. There's been a lot of rumours, you know, I don't really know what to believe. You never really know what goes on behind the scenes. But the talks are at the moment that he's not happy with the lengths of contract that they're asking because he doesn't want to commit to six, seven years, which, while understandable, you know, is not, I imagine, what they want to hear from someone that I imagine is demanding. I think, you know, Reese James is on 250 grand a week. So Mason Mount will be demanding similar money to that. He hasn't been commanding that from the performances that he's been giving us. You're right. He's been, he dropped off over the last year, maybe two years. You know, I remember conversations a few years ago when I used to be able to say, you know, Mason Mount is on the same level as, as Bakayo Saka. You know, there were, you know that, that's gone. You know, Mason Mount is the same level as, you know, Calvin Phillips. You know, that's gone. Declan Rice, that's gone. You know, there are just all these players just seem to be surpassing him. And I'm just kind of thinking, you know, is it time... And the last few performances that he's dropped have been absolutely terrible. Um, he's always kind of been a petty player, but recently he just seems to come on as a substitute and just start kicking people. For you know, we're one nil down and he's committing niggly fouls in the last third, and it's like, why are you? What what's the point of you know? The worst ones for me, are, you know, when they, they got their back to the corner flag and a, an attacker shoves them and, and they yeah. go. Oh, Mason Mount will do that. If there was a bet for Mason Mount to do that every single game or every single time he appeared, I'd, I'd you know, lump my, my life savings on it. But he is is a player that I just don't feel has, yeah, has deserved a particularly big pay rise. And if that's what is holding him back in terms of performances, then he's a player that Chelsea need to be firm with and say, we're going to cut you loose because he's, he's yeah. Not not good enough at the moment. That wraps it up then. I don't want him. Dan says he's rubbish. <laughs> um, but one thing I do know, Dan, he won't get 250,000 at Liverpool. Not a chance. What is he on now? Do you know? I have no idea. I think, I mean, I think 80k was the last I heard, but that was, I mean, that probably would have been about... Actually, he wouldn't have changed contracts since a season or so ago. So probably, yeah, still around kind of 80 grand. I mean, Reese James was only on, I think, 90 before he made the jump. And that was kind of in the last year. So I can understand why he wants, why, why you know, particularly after how he was a couple of seasons ago, why he wants that kind of money. But yeah, at the end of the day, you've got, it's a job. So you've got to to earn your keep and put in the performances to to deserve that sort of of pay raise. And I mean, yeah, you say yeah, Liverpool. It won't happen at Liverpool. Um, 
I'd be surprised if he, if it was about the money. Yeah, I mean, I'd be surprised if he didn't go to a, a foreign club because I don't see a, a, an, a, an English team offering him anything that Chelsea don't. Um, you know, we're the ones that watch him week in, week out. And yeah, if we can't justify it, then I, I don't see another Premier League team bowing to, to his wage demands. But maybe someone like a Newcastle, um, I think that could be a an interesting destination for him if he does go. But yeah, I'm, I'm not really, not really, not really sure what to, to do with Mount at the moment. I think he's got a few more games in him before I say sell him in the summer for sure. But at the moment, yeah, on his so current, Liverpool much. linked with Bellingham for a year, signed Mount. What do you think to that, Obi? Is that <laughs> right up Liverpool Street? And listen, I almost forgot. Dan is the man that gave me the inside info that Jude Bellingham is a done deal to Liverpool. He knows someone that is a family friend. Is that all right to say that, Dan? We've been on uh, yeah, I mean, more yeah, than yeah. an hour now. I don't think anyone's yeah. going to watch this far. Spill I'll the bean. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, well, it's a um, nice uh, a friend, um, very yeah, very big Liverpool fan. But that is coincidentally, but no, he's uh, he's from Birmingham. Um, grew up with Job and his uh, very close family friends, and seems to. Uh, to be dead certain um, that, that Liverpool will be the place for I'll take that. in the summer. I'll take that. that, that that's left me on a high. And I, do, and I do trust this source, which is why I, uh, I I do share it. But I'm praying that something changes. I'm praying that Real Madrid come in with a super bid or, you know, <laughs> that he just can't turn down because, oh, yeah, Jude Bellini, he's such a, such a great player. If he does go to Liverpool... He will be a fantastic player for years to come. Fingers crossed. Right, lads, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much on this this Monday night. A blue Monday. I should have called it a blue Monday with Dan from the two blues on there. Um, <laughs> if anyone's watching that's been watching this long, don't forget to hit like and subscribe and also check out Dan's Two Blues podcast. Great content. I watch every minute of every episode. Him and Charms publish. It's great stuff. Lads, Thanks ever so much, and we'll see you on the next one. Travi, you're seeing us out. It's been a <laughs> nice pleasure. One. Cheers, lads. Nice one, boys. Nice one.